I wanted to bring up some questions about how to hire, who to hire, when to hire. Let's say you and I work together, Derek, and you're killing it at editing videos. And I'm like, Derek, you're the best video editor we've ever had. I'm gonna promote you to video manager, but you're still doing all the video editing too. And you're trying to manage the people. And I'm asking you to build systems. Think of the system like a machine. Would you hire the same person to build the machine and then operate the machine? Probably not, right? Welcome back to the Eight Figure Agency Show, where a successful entrepreneur and a soon to be successful entrepreneur to help you build an eight figure agency by documenting their failures and successes. Guys, episode two, Gary, how are we feeling today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Episode number two. I'm really excited. The last one turned out great. I just watched it. Your team did an amazing job editing it. Thank and you, they did. the topics that we covered was was really exciting. I'm excited to hear about where you're at this week and kind of how things went the last uh, couple of days. Yeah. If you guys did not watch or listen to episode one, we covered everything from how to you know, grow your agency sales-wise, how do you reach out to companies, what should motivate you, you know, is it bad to be money motivated versus, you know, a people motivated or goal motivated and uh, how do you build a team and uh, this week I've got some unique challenges that I'm going to try to challenge Gary with that I'm kind of experiencing in my agency um, and it goes really well with what we talked about last week so if you haven't listened to or watched episode one go check it out. Uh, Gary this week um, some unique things have you know come up um, first off I, for those of you who did watch episode one and Gary if you remember one of the biggest challenges I was facing was the um, cold outreach via email yeah, And they actually were not working, right? So it went from sending 50 messages a day and, you know, we were reaching a good amount of people to literally completely zero, zero meetings, zero, you know, responses, like no replies. So it's really made no sense because when you're reaching out to 50 people a day, there should be some traction there, at least yeah. your email replies. Yeah. I found out um, that apparently it's a high probability that <laughs> – my messages might be going to spam. So it's not that like the template is wrong or we're doing something wrong. We are quite literally just being sent to spam by Google servers. So uh, if you're doing cold outreach, remember that. But so now we got that figured out and uh, we're well, testing and real some quick, new stuff. I want to the- touch on that really quick because I think there's an important um, difference that we have to knock out here. So a lot of times when we talk, I'm usually in strategy mindset, right? And so strategy mindset is like, oh, that's not working. Then go over here and try this. Oh, and that's not working. Then go over here and try this. And we're, we're talking about high-level strategies. What you just brought up is a tactical issue, right? We don't normally dive. I don't normally dive into the tactical. Now, tactical is great because, and people love it. It does really, really well on social media, on TikTok, and those kind of things. But it does attract a certain kind of person that just wants that information, right? So it's very limiting from that standpoint. And, but there's, there's, there's a lot of value to the tactical side. And so I think that's an important thing to call out is that you got to always make sure that you have somebody who's tactically executing and problem solving. And then you have to have somebody who's strategy and those things, sometimes they don't go together. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. In fact, that's exactly what I was about to bring up on, on this transition here, because that's what I'm experiencing now. Today, I wanted to bring up some questions about how to hire, who to hire, when to hire, right? Because that's kind of the position I'm in. I'm experiencing that exact thing, the dichotomy between strategy and tactical and how they're merging. Can't have the same people doing strategy as they're doing tactical. So that's yeah. exactly right. So look, my question to you first off would be, if, you know, for someone starting out their agency, when do they know, like what, at what point do you know, like, okay, it's time to hire? 
Yeah, so when I first started out, I started a really flat org chart, basically like everybody reported to me, right? And that was very limiting. And it, it actually... It, we we were just to be honest. I was able to grow to over almost three and a half million dollars a year just on that. And so you can build that flat org chart and really have your hand in everything. I will say that probably the biggest downside to that is you end up solving a lot of the problems, right? So there you have to be in everything. So what you have to do to get yourself out of that, so I'm going to assume you have a flat org chart, which means if, just so everybody knows, a flat org chart is you're the CEO. And then you have all these people underneath you doing the work and they all report up to you, right? And so what you want is to start building out depth on your org chart. Well, how do you build out depth on your org chart? Well, that's when you start bringing in managers and directors and then you know eventually presidents and things like that over the top of those positions. And that's actually a dip more difficult than you think because what ends up happening is, is you need to bring those people in. Then they come in and build a system and you have to give them support around that. Then they manage the people. But where I always made the mistake and why I always failed at doing this early on was, let's say you and I work together, Derek, and you're killing it at editing videos. And I'm like, Derek, you're the best video editor we've ever had. I'm going to promote you to video manager. And you're like, okay, great. And so, of course, you say yes, because it's more money, right? But you're still doing all the video editing too. And you're trying to manage the people. And I'm asking you to build systems you get burnt out and I, and you're not probably not good at managing people, probably not your skill set, right? Cause you're a video editor, right? You just haven't learned those things yet. And so you fail on three fronts. Now you end up quitting or I end up having to demote you, which makes you quit. I just lost my best video editor. <laughs> right. And I, I didn't get what I wanted out of the situation. So to avoid that, I just think that you have to really be strategic about who you're bringing in, what support are you providing to them, what systems do you have for them, and what systems are you going to provide for them. And keep in mind that managers typically aren't the best system builders. So someone has to come in with the strategy and say, here's the strategy that I'm giving you with the system, and you can tinker with it and make it better and and so on and so forth. I literally like word for word went through the video editor situation exactly word for word I, like a week ago same situation it was a video editor promoted to like a, a video manager role and then within a week it was a situation where like okay this is too much and then it had to be like a demotion and i really did not feel right like it just felt uncomfortable yep listen to gary's words right there don't make the same mistake <laughs> i've been through that so many times i've done that i, I feel bad like to be honest with you I feel bad. Like I've hurt, I've set people up for, it's setting people up for failure. Exactly. As a leader. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's what and, you're doing. and that, that's what really felt bad to me. Cause you know, when we talked about this, uh, I was like, I failed you. I was like, I, I tried, I thought you would succeed. I, I was wrong. And now I put you in a position where you felt like you failed me. And so everybody feels like they're a failure. And, uh, it's just, it was a really bad cycle to be in. Now we're good though, thankfully, and everything's working well. But, um, look, I mean, that really does lead to the question, um, of like, look, when do you hire? So if people, right now, that's exactly the position I'm in, right? The org chart you described, I'm at the top and literally everything goes through me. I have the final say on everything. I'm the one who presents ideas. I'm the one who's building the systems and so on and so forth. So when do you know it's time to hire? Is it a certain amount of revenue? Is it a certain amount of clients? Is it a certain amount of uh, workload? Like what's what's the giveaway? Well, really, so again, I, I can tell you how I did it wrong and then how I do it now. So before we used to just reinvest and just keep hiring. I just wanted to grow, right? So I was just like, how do we get these people in and and get them hired as fast as possible so that way we can support this growth? And I always wanted to hire more, grow more. That's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to... 
there's a book out there called Profit First. Really, mm-hmm. really good. And basically, it's a simple math formula, right? So most businesses set up their math formula like this. Revenue minus expenses equals profit. What, re- what Profit First teaches you is revenue minus profit equals expenses, right? See the difference there? It's a very it's a very small difference, but it makes a huge outcome. So what I would recommend is building in your profit. Where is your profit going to come from? Now, when you're smaller and starting out, you don't want as much profit. Like think about Amazon. They weren't profitable for a long time because they had a world domination goal. And when you're smaller and you're growing, you you but you still need some profit. You need a little bit of cushion there, but you don't want to be like, I'm at 50% profitability right at the start. because And again, if you're not trying to grow, then it's not a big deal. Then you can be profitable like crazy. But if you're trying to grow, you want to reinvest. So maybe you set it at 5 or 10%, whatever it may be. Then you say, okay, this is our expense. What can I hire at next? And basically what you want to do is you want to spend your time on the highest value that you can bring to your company. And then from there, you want to try to hire people to manage the other things. That's one strategy. Right, so manage, bring in people that around your weaknesses, and allow you to focus on the higher level things. So for like me, I wasn't a good um, uh, project manager. Right, I just just I hate it. I'd rather do anything else in the company. I did avoid it at all cost. I'd even build systems to avoid it and try to <laughs> you know set up automations to avoid it and things like that, which never ended well. So for me, it was always okay. Well, let's get in project managers that are going to be able to help with that. Let's hire a project manager. Uh, director of project managers to help support that. Um, that was my big area of weakness. Eventually, I even partnered with somebody who had more of those that side of the business skill set. And that was advantageous for me because it was like, cool, you handle all this stuff over here. And he had a knack for it and was able to do it and understood more of the technical side. So maybe it's the web developer side that you need to hire a manager, maybe whatever it is, because what that's going to do. So this is counterintuitive, Derek. So what that's going to do is it's going to do free you up mm-hmm. to do more of the high value activity, right? So if you come in and you build like the perfect web system, is that going to make you, if you, if you build websites, I know you guys don't, but if you did, if you build the perfect website system, is that going to make you more money? No, nah, mm-hmm. probably not. It might help you onboard people. It might help you keep clients a little bit longer, but it's not going to just kill your top line and just blow it up. What's going to blow up your top line is the stuff you're focusing on, the sales and the marketing and things like that. So that's where all of your energy needs to go, but 50, 60% of your energy isn't going there right now. So what you need to do is those those areas that you're not giving the most value back to the company, that's where you should start hiring if you have the money to do it, right? So look, my question to you then, and I think a lot of people would, would have the same thought in their mind is, you hear this a lot, right? High value tasks versus what your weakness is, right? And what you hire out first. So what is the difference between hiring for a high value task to grow the business? For example, I hire somebody else to, to um, uh, create content as a marketing strategy, right? And then somebody to do sales. That's the highest value for my business right now, right? Yeah. Um, in addition to like client retention, that's where I'm uber focused because for me, that's the number one. Like if I can yeah. retain these clients 12 months plus, that's more important than bringing in new business. So yeah. do I hire a around my weaknesses like for example um i'm not the greatest at managing and building systems so i bring in a project manager to manage and build systems is that how you do it yes absolutely because here's the thing is that you need to be freed up you started the business all by yourself right so you you know how to go get accounts and you know how to keep them yeah 
Those are the highest value things that you, Derek, for your agency that you can provide to the company. There's literally nothing else more valuable that you can do besides bringing in new people and closing them and keeping them. So then from there, so what are all the other activities inside of your business that you shouldn't be doing? It's basically everything else. So that's where you need to start hiring. And then from there, you're going to reach the next stage. So the next stage after that is now you want to start replacing yourself in those other areas. And so the biggest trap that entrepreneurs fall in there is no one else can do it. It can't be done. I'm the only one in the whole world that can do it. And there's an interesting book on this that really blows people's mind. It's called The Checklist Manifesto. And basically what it is, it's about a surgeon. And this surgeon, I mean, this guy's super smart. He does like really complicated surgeries on bodies. And he realized that in the in the medical field that there, there wasn't like a lot of checks and balances and checklists and things like that. And he didn't think that surgeons would follow him. And he didn't really think that they would help him that much because, you know, He's super smart. So he went over to the another industry, the the pilot industry, and he saw how they fly pilot uh, planes, and he saw how technical they were, and he he noticed that everything that they did was done on a checklist that had like four to ten steps on it, and it all had to be done in under one minute, or the plane crashes, right? Or and everybody dies. So it's complicated, like surgery. Like you can't, you don't have room for error. And he noticed that they do everything that way. And then he brought it back to his, you know, surgery and it it made all these crazy changes. And it just really impacted our healthcare system because doctors before that didn't really believe that they needed any kind of checklist. But there was the the little things that they were missing that were crucial, not their ability to do the surgery, but maybe their ability to remember to disinfect something before they started the next process. And so what you need to do is just go in and you, what you should be doing right now, actually, this is actually, and this is the reason I'm explaining this next step, is you should be creating high-level checklists of what does this job look like for retention and what does this job look like for, for sales and marketing? And it should be easy, easy steps that you know if from a high level, did someone do their job or not? Did you do this checklist? If you do this checklist, you'll be right, eighty you'll win 80% of the time. And if you don't do this checklist, you'll lose most of the time. So you start building that. And then from there, you should be documenting all your SOPs in the processes. So that way you don't have to go back and do it again. Yeah, no, that's super valuable. You know, we'll, we'll probably do in the future an entire episode on just SOPs and checklists. But I mean, for right now, for some more context, both for me and for anybody listening, what's like, how detailed should a checklist be? And what's the difference between, you know, a checklist and an SOP? Is a checklist an SOP or is that two different things? Totally two different things. So mm-hmm. a, a, an SOP is a standard operating procedure. So the way I like to think of it is like, that's the letter of the law. That's like a when you go to court and you get a speeding ticket and you're like, wait, what was what's the law saying? It's like A-743 and you run this and run that. Like it's all the technical jargon and it, and it really goes into detail of like every single step. And it's it's really, they're boring, right? Like super boring. No one likes them, but they're necessary. You need to have the SOP for everything in your business, especially as you grow. And, and so the... The checklist is totally different. The checklist assumes that you know how to do the thing. And it's just reminding you that if you do these eight things or you do, and and really there shouldn't be like 30 things. The checklist should be like four to 10 things. And all it is, is if you do these four to 10 things in the sales process, you'll win most of the time. And if you don't, you'll lose. Or if you do these 10 things or these five things in, uh, in client retention, did you reach out every Monday? Did you 
did you, you know, send the reporting? Did you set up the monthly meeting and have that conversation? Did you, just simple stuff like that. And the reason that those are so important is because when you go in to manage somebody, it's, it's easy to say, did you read the SOP? Well, yeah, it's almost impossible to figure out where they're missing the process in the SOP, right? So the SOP is there for them to learn how to pass the test. The test is the checklist. So oh. you can come in and just say, here's the checklist. What, what one did we miss on this? Oh, I didn't do step number four. Okay, let's go back and look at the SOP. Here's all the section on step number four. Why, why did we... Well, I'm, I didn't think we needed it because of this. No, 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 no. Okay, now we need to restructure the SOP, make sure that we're all on the same page with this, get a line. That's the, that's the purpose of it. That just blew my mind because that was the missing link for me. So basically, you're saying an SOP is like a study guide to the checklist, and the checklist is the test. If you're not passing the checklist, which is the test, you go back to the SOP, which is the study guide, to figure out what you're missing and, and relearn the process to fulfill the checklist. Yeah, so the, uh, the other way, the way the book explains a checklist manifesto, which is really good, again, if you haven't read it, read it. It's It's basically like this. You don't have a checklist for a pilot that says, all right, you're flying in the air and something goes wrong in the plane. First, grab the wheel and make sure that you know how to fly a plane. No, we already they already know how to fly a plane, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, check this, check this, check this. If that doesn't happen, go over to this checklist, right? And it's, so it's like three steps and it's not going into great detail. And if they, they know, the people who build these lists are like Boeing and these other people that, that build planes, they know if they do those three things that 95% of the time, everything will be fine. And if not, that 5%, they actually have a separate checklist for that, right? And again, they, they go in more detail because people die if you don't do this properly. But in a marketing company, you don't need to be that perfect. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, my initial reaction to that is, first of all, that's super valuable. And, I, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that whoever's listening, watching this right now, you know, similar position that I'm in, <laughs> pretty valuable for them too, because that difference between a checklist and SOP is huge for some context. I've been spending hours a day in ClickUp. Um, it's a project management software, and I've been building out docs <laughs> in so much detail, like headings and, and, and step-by-steps and all this stuff. And I tried to build out a checklist, and I wasn't sure where to start. And the reason why is exactly like Gary just explained. I was going way too detailed with it. So I was literally like, okay, drag the video into Premiere Pro. Okay, let the <laughs> yeah, video no, 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 upload. Yeah, it was yeah. way too yeah, detailed. Yeah, so you have to assume, build the checklist for you. So what are the crucial... What are the crucial things on the job? What's the thing that you were building the SOP for? What was it? Literally everything. So how to edit videos, how to do the review okay. process, how to, like all of it. Okay. So, so, but high level, what is it? When you put it all together, what was the SOP for? Uh, how to create the highest quality content in the shortest amount of time. Bingo. So, right. So let's build a checklist right now. So high, how to build high quality co content. So what are the, what are the top five things that you say are, you cannot compromise on these things and have high quality content. Uh, accurate subtitles. Step okay. number one, probably accurate subtitles. Um, <sighs> number two probably would have to be um, final touches. That's what we call it. Final touches is like the emojis, the effects, the audio effects, the zooms, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and really, that's the two main ones. I guess if you would put one in front of subtitles, it would be trimming the footage properly. That's really it. If you trim the footage properly, the subtitles are like grammatically correct and accurate and uh, the final touches what are What about on the point. story? What about picking the right story? 
Yes, that's this. That's step one. Yes, I was referring okay, to the okay. specific editing part of it. So, so okay. the way I broke it down, my step is it's five steps. It's sourcing clips or sourcing footage, which is picking the story. Number two is trimming footage. Number three is adding subtitles. Number four is final touches. And number five is awaiting review, which is you finish it. That's the five-step SOP that I built. Yeah, so I would put four steps in it. So the story, the trim, the subtitles, and the effects, that's your four checklist. Now, I would word them in a way that makes them go through the process properly. So as, as I'm sure you have a process for pulling the proper story and checking resources and making sure that they're pulling something that's relevant to today. I would actually have that in my checklist of like, did you follow the story guideline checklist? It's yes or no. And then if they don't check it, it's like, well, why? And it might be, Derek, it's like, well, they're talking about something that no one else is talking about online. So we don't have a reference point, right? And so then you have to build in other things into your SOP around that because that's going to occasionally happen. And so, but that's but that's how you build a checklist. Basically, you have a four or a five point checklist and you just have to get very strategic on how you label each step in that checklist. So we're going through this in sales right now. And so our system, everybody was following the SOPs, but there were some nuances that were missed. Right. And it was just simple things in the sales process. And so what we did is we just built a simple checklist. And then now what we're doing is breaking the process up into sections and then holding the checklist accountable in each section. So saying when you finish this section of sales, did you complete that checklist? And it was a yes or no question. And if no, it's like, okay, well, what happened? And that's forcing, we set up the checklist in such a way that it's forcing them to go to the next section of the checklist and so we have multiple checklists all the way through and it's forcing them to do the things that we need them to do to be successful so then look i think that the question that comes to me um would be this do you need to have the sops made first before you hire or should you hire and then build the sops especially early on like i am you got to have if you throw so here there's two ways to do it. when you're early early so let's say you're like really early and you're just one or two people then it's really hard to build a system because you really don't know what you're doing yet, right? So you usually end up hiring somebody and you're like, hey, bro, I'm building this thing. You want to come along and do stuff with me? It's going to be super messy and crazy. And that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. But you get to the place where if you want to hire skill and, and real talent, you have to have some kind of system for them to come into. Now, if you hire them and you ask them to build the system, before they start doing the work, that's okay, but they have to be good at that. So I have managers on our team, amazing human managers. Like they do a great job of managing their team, keeping everybody on the same page, moving the, the ball forward, hitting KPIs and doing the things that we ask them to do. But they're not great at building systems, right? That's like a separate skill set. And so you you can't pretend like, yeah, building a system, managing people, uh, editing videos, doing the technical work are all the same thing. They're not. And they're actually, you're not going to find humans that can do all the things that they don't exist. That like, honestly scares me a little bit. That's like my instant reaction because it, it, it I'm not the greatest at it. So whenever I'm faced with like, okay, I got to build a system for video editing, for sales, for this, for that, for that. I don't build out the best system possible. And it takes me a lot of time because at the same time, yeah. you know, I'm focused on client retention, on sales. Yep. So I guess my, my question for that would be, how do I do it successfully? Do I stick it out and keep building these systems or do I make an investment and hire somebody to build the systems for me? So I'm going to give an answer and all entrepreneurs don't like this. I didn't like this answer at the beginning. It sounded stupid and crazy to me, but it absolutely works. And you actually know several people that I've helped do this with and it's helped them blow up. So what you do is you hire a project manager that's systems focused. Okay. So, so not all 
not all project managers are are process focused. Some are people focused. So you got to make sure that they're they're process focused. So once you realize, okay, I got somebody who can actually help me build these systems. They come in and they don't have to under understand your industry or what you do. It's actually better that they don't because they're going to build a system that the next person will really understand. So what you do is you bring in this project manager and then you pair them with the expert. So you might be the expert on retention or growth, but maybe your video editor is the expert on the video editing side and you're just kind of good at it, right? And so what you do is you pair them together and you just say, I'm just going to have you watch them go through this process. Now, what's even easier and what we have done, we'll just record because we're virtual, just record everything. So we're just like, whatever you're doing, just record it, like screen record it or record it on Loom or whatever you're doing and just document everything that you're doing for the next two weeks. And then we, and we're very clear on why we're, we're like, no, we're not trying to replace you. We're actually trying to build systems to help you build more people onto your team and get you more support. So you got to communicate that. Cause if you ask people to record it, <laughs> they'll, they'll yeah. think you're trying to, to replace them with somebody overseas or something like that. So then you bring the project manager in and then you have them build out the high level process. Then you have them bring it back to the expert and say, go through this. Is this right? Did I get it right? And if they're like, yeah, that's really good. I didn't even realize I was doing it. You know, you got something, right? Because there's things that we all do. Anytime you're technically good at something, when I say technically good, I mean, you can run ads, you can edit videos, you can run a sales call, you can be a dentist, you can be a mechanic. Those are all technical skills, right? Anytime you do a technical skill, we actually devalue that in our own heads. And we're like, yeah, it's easy. You just go in here and you change the oil and you take this out and you put this in. And it's, it's easy. It takes five minutes. Well, to me, I'm like, I'll pay any amount of money to have you do that because I have no idea how to do that. And I'll probably hurt myself, right? And break my car in the process. So so there's, it's not that easy. But to the person doing it, it's easy. But there's all these nuances. So let's use the oil change person. There's all these nuances to to be able to change the the oil to do it properly. And if you just say, yeah, it's easy, go try it out, you're going to fail. But if I brought in somebody to document that process along the way, th- you're going to be able to build something out for somebody else. So then when you hire that next person or when you're even doing the interview process, you can actually show them like, here's the whole process that we've already built for you. We just need help on you executing it. You're going to be able to get much better people into your company. Um, now, occasionally, next level is, well, we want to do this next thing, right? So we don't have anybody in the company that can do that technical thing yet. And we want to start hiring high-level talent for that. And we want to build a system. So then what you do is you go out and get a consultant. And you find a consultant, you pair them with your project manager, and then you build out the system as best as you can. And then you hire that high-level talent and then have them come and work inside the structure that you've built, having them add their nuances. So that's how you can gamify that that side of it. See, I never even realized the value of consultants until that sentence right there. That makes so much more sense. I never understood why big consultants charge 5, 10K you know, for a project, but that makes a lot of sense. So then look, how do you, like I'm going to do just that, right? So I'm going to like next, by the next week, I'm going to try to have this you know, sorted out, but then in the process of doing this, two things come up in my mind, two, two kind of red flags. A, how do I recognize talent that can build systems effectively, right? Because I remember Gary told me this thing before. He said, there's three, typically three types of people. There's somebody who builds a system, somebody who executes on the system, and somebody who makes it recurring. Did I get that correct? I think that that's how uh, you said a, it. Somebody who imagines it, imagines okay. a system. Like so, so you are an entrepreneur, so you saw this company before anybody else saw it. Yep. And if you would have told somebody, I'm going to build this company, they'd have been like, whatever, right? So you saw it before anybody else saw it. Then you need somebody who makes, 
helps you make that real, right? And that's the team, a lot of the team that you have now, because you had these crazy ideas that you couldn't execute on by yourself. So you had to bring in other people after you made some sales. Then there's somebody who makes it recurring. And and usually the person who makes it up, which is the you, hates doing the recurring part because it's boring to them. And usually the person who's really good at doing the recurring part hates the make it up part. Like that's scary to them. They don't want to do that. So then how do I recognize the difference like the people and how they fit into these categories and more specifically, how do I recognize the person that's going to be able to build the systems, right? And oversee, like delegate the systems out. So, Hey, here's who has been with, here's who's going to do it. How do I recognize that talent? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to do this. I mean, you got to get good at interviewing. So one of the bottlenecks that agencies actually start to run into is they, they, they have all the clients that you can get, but they can't hire people fast enough. And so you need to be able to hire for specific skills and you need to be able to do one of two things, either hire somebody who already has all these skills built in. So as a video editor, they already know how to edit video and you don't have to train them on that, right? But let's say there was no video editors to hire. Let's say they're all hired and there's no one there. Then you have to train video editors. So now you have to create a system to train them. Let's just say that's the problem that we're facing. So what you wanna do is go out and find a project manager that is process driven. And how you do that is just simply by asking questions. Now, there's also the Kobe, K-L-O-B-E assessment that you can take. And it's really good at helping you figure out where people are at. There's no wrong or right answers. It just tells you where people's natural uh, inclination is towards certain uh, things inside of business uh, are uh, tend towards. But you can do it just by asking questions too. So if, if you were a project manager and I was interviewing you, I would say, hey, what, what's your current job? And you're going to say, oh, I do this, pro- I'm a project manager at this place. Great. Do you, what part do you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy doing, you know, building the processes? Do you enjoy working with the people? Oh, I love working with the people. Well, that, you're probably people driven, right? And so if you're, and if you come in and you say, oh, I love building our processes, I love, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then that's a different person. They're going to be much more technical and, and you need both, right? So there's, there's different people out there for different kinds of jobs. Now, to answer your question on the recurring side, there's people who you will hire that want to do the job over and over and over again. So to like me, if you said, hey, Gary, I'll hire you and I'll pay you a million dollars to edit videos all day, like I wouldn't do it. Like I, I'm just like, I couldn't sit there and edit videos all day because it, to me, it's just like the same thing over and over again. But to some people, they love doing it. It's like an art to them. They're passionate about it. They wake up excited about it. And that's awesome. So you have to find those people. And that person in the middle who's building that system is the make it real person. They need to be able to see what Derek does on a daily basis, document it, and then give it to a recurring person. And then you let them leave that system and go on to the next system with you. Got it. So you're saying the make it real person. So, so the, the person at the top, the idea person can be like me, right? Or anybody mm-hmm. who I bring with me who's got really good ideas. The person who's making it real is the person making the systems. And then that person delegates and oversees the person making it recurring. And the person making it recurring... No, they, are, don't, they, don't, they don't oversee it. They just, they just get the system in place. They're not a manager. Project managers are not managing people. Mm, they don't okay. manage people. They manage projects. Mm. And projects have a beginning and an end. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a big yeah. distinction. Yeah, yeah big distinction. So so I'm talking about a somebody who comes in and just builds systems and then moves on to the next system. What you're thinking of is a manager. So that's kind of like your next phase that you're going to go through is who who's going to manage 
If a department has five or six video editors, who's going to manage those five or six video editors? Now you need a system to help you with that, but then you need someone to actually manage the human beings, make sure they're healthy, make sure they're happy, make sure that they're hitting their KPIs, make sure that their needs are being met. And that gets harder and harder to do the bigger your team gets. So you need to bring in managers. Wow. So that's really important because I was about to make a pretty big mistake and hire somebody <laughs> to do both of those jobs, right? So that that's a pretty important distinction. So you're saying that in my situation and probably for a lot of people listening who might be going through something similar, step one is really figure out what you need. Like what are you good at, right? What are your weaknesses? What is the highest value you could do in the company? Write those things down. Whatever is the highest value thing focus on those yourself and hire around that. So if your highest value is sales and you suck at client retention, find somebody who can be really good at client communication, right? In my case, it's building systems because I want to focus on sales and marketing, creating content and all that stuff and the ideas. So in my situation, right, hire somebody who can build out the systems, right? But the important distinction that I just finally realized is that I can't have that person that's building the systems then manage and oversee the systems. I got to bring in a manager for each department to oversee to, those to systems. To operate it. Think of the system like a machine, right? Would, would, you, would you hire the same person to build the machine and then operate the machine? No. Probably not, right? So you, you go to somebody and you say, hey, I need this machine. I need a, a widget machine. So you go to them and you say, hey, b- build me a widget machine that does this kind of widget, right? Like it's very specific. Great. I built that for you. Here you go. Then somebody operates that machine on a daily basis to make sure that it's producing the widgets when it's supposed to. And if there's any hiccups, they're, they're thinking through that process. Yeah. But, but the process can work for one person too. You don't have to have a manager over the process. It can be, the process can be for one or two people just operating and just helping them. So what I would do in your exact situation is I'd hire a project manager. I'd make sure they were systems focused. I'd bring them in and have them start focusing on uh, the system, like in the operations of your business, building those out one by one. I would be involved with that if I needed to be, just to help play referee and think about it from both ends. Because you're you're really dealing on the beginning of the the client journey and the end of the client journey, right? So just to make sure that they're keeping that those two things in context, because those are the most important things. And then and then get those systems built out. And then as I was also doing that, I would still be going through the sales process and the retention process, and I would be documenting that with them as well. So that they that person had context of those at the same time, and we would be documenting those, but I wouldn't try to finish those you know, sales and retention systems until that middle operational system was done. Then you can bring in higher talent to be able to help you operate those operational systems. It'll also help your team perform better. Their lives will be better. They'll be happier. And then I would circle back around and say, okay, now I'm going to finish either retention or sales, whichever one's most on fire or which one's going to bring the most value. And okay, let's solve that. Boom. Here's our systems for that. Let's bring in a person. Okay. You're over that now. And then I would go into the next section and do that on the next part. And then now you've, you've literally built out systems for your whole company. And ideally you've replaced yourself. That's really the whole goal is to replace yourself hundred percent, not because you have to leave the company, but you want your company running in a way that it doesn't need you. Yeah, no, of course. That that makes a lot of sense. And besides, that would free up a lot of time to continue focusing on higher value stuff and even bigger projects, kind of like the position that you're in right now. So I think really all in all, right? So you know, you got to figure out who to hire. That's step one, right? And, and then figure out 
the exact person that you need and, and what they're going to do and how you best serve them. Don't make the mistake I did and hire somebody expecting them to do great from day one without giving them the resources they need to do that. <laughs> you fail them from day one and, and I've made yeah. that mistake a couple times now and I'm starting to finally realize it. And there was a lot of other important key takeaways. Well, well really, real quick there, Derek, what you just said there is so important. I think that's where most people miss it is it's just really extreme ownership. It'd be really yeah. easy for you to say, my team stinks and they're stupid and they don't know what they're doing. I've said that before, right? But if you do that, you lose all power. You don't have any recourse. You're just stuck. Your business is stuck. Your future is stuck. The key that you just said there is that I set them up for failure. I could have done these things better. Could the team have done? I'm sure, right? But you can't control any of that. So building the system so that almost anybody can operate it if they have, if they're just decent, that's really where you can really grow and get better. Yes, we all want to hire like super good talent and we want the best people. But that's not realistic as you grow an agency at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, look, the last question that I think would put this piece together, because a lot of the listeners are probably in really different positions. Like I'm in a position, somebody might just be starting. Uh, and look, if you're just starting, I wouldn't even be worrying about this yet. Get some clients and then come back and listen to this episode. But where do you find this talent, right? Like where can I find talent that's within budget? And how can I realistically manage my expectations? We're like, okay, if I'm paying somebody X amount of dollars a month, I'm not getting you know top tier talent. If I want top tier talent, I have to pay for top tier talent. Yeah, that's a good question. So there's a couple different ways. And I've kind of gone through all of these. So the first one is think of it this way. We do lead gen for dental patients. Well, you have to solve for lead gen for your team members the same way you solve for lead gen for dentist. Mm. It's the same thing. It's just a different system. It's you're talking to different people. So that's number one is that you, you need some kind of system. So you can either build that system yourself, it's an, and it's just a marketing system. That's all it is. And then there's a, <clears throat> a system to bring them in to an onboarding system, right? And so that's that's number one. Number two is you can go hire headhunters, which are extremely expensive too. Number three is you can network. I find that to be the most effective because I can get the people that I want, and they know me, they know my culture, they know what I'm trying to build. I know them. I know their culture. I know what they're trying to build, and I can tell right away if I want to work with them or not. So that's, that's one of the best, but it takes time. That takes your personal time, right? Long ongoing. The other one is, and I think this is a big one, is social media. So I've needed like a high level ad strategist that can do B2B, B2C and personal branding. I don't need them to place ads. I need them to just give me the strategy and then I have VAs that I already have people who can run the ads. I just need higher level strategies and it's complicated, right? Like it's, it's, it hurts my head thinking about all the different parts of it, <clears throat> but there's people out there that can do it. So I can't just put up a job post and say, Hey, come apply for this. I already know I'll get almost nobody for that. So I made a TikTok video and then I got like five people who were like, Hey, I own an agency. I actually know how to do all of these. You can 1099 me. I'll do it. And it was exactly what I was looking for. And if I just posted it on an indeed, I wouldn't have got, I would have got 99 people to tell me, tell me who they couldn't. So I think that it, all of those are viable, but just know this, as you grow, your, your, your um, team member acquisition process will become your next bottleneck. That was one of our big, biggest bottlenecks. And we had to build out a whole HR team. We had to build out a lot of that side of the company. I don't want to bore people with that because most people are not in that position yet, but those are the basic steps to be able to figure that out. Yeah, no, you, you'll definitely, for those listening, you'll probably get there already. I think I'm on track to get there pretty soon, right? Like as soon as we get this 
sales thing, like I mentioned with the emails, and as soon as we get that sorted back out and I get sales meetings booking up again, it'll be much, you know, that'll probably be the biggest next thing is, you know, finding the talent to get me to be able to step away and, and you know, oversee this so I can scale to an eight-figure agency. But I think um, I, I do have, a, you know, one final question to, to wrap this up, a little bit more of tactically for me. Um, where to hire, who to hire. So our friend Corey, right, with team, is a, getting a project manager from him a bad idea? Is that not going to be the best move? No, it's good. Yeah. No, that's perfect. That's where you're actually going to save probably the most money. And to be honest with you, Derek, like this is something that I'm working on in the background of helping agencies figure this out. And I'm actually just met with Corey, meeting with him next week. And we're working on a way to help people be able to hire really quickly for people who are already trained. So project managers who are already trained, ad specialists who are already trained, video editors that are already trained, web designers that are already trained, graphic designers that are, and maybe copy. So we're thinking five or six different positions, already trained, already know how to do it, and just having them ready there for people when they want to hire them. And these are full-time people. So, but at, you know, 60%, 70% less than what you would pay if you were to hire someone in the state. So it would actually remove a lot of this burden from the agency owners because I see it as a big problem because you don't have the ability to hire at scale the way you need, you want to because you don't have that team built out yet. And you also don't have the resources to be able to do it the other ways. So this is this would be an easy way to solve that. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I was concerned with it because I wasn't sure if I could get the talent that I need at a level that I need. But I haven't had a problem since, you know, using team and stuff like that. But, you know, to Gary's point, right now I'm literally experiencing this. If you go to, in, into the U.S. and you try to hire somebody like a project manager who has decent skill sets, they're going to want, you know, minimum. And this is if you're lucky, like $4,000 a month for a full-time oh, seller. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. like if Easy. you're lucky. And you're in California, yeah. Gary, for you, it's probably no, I was going to say I was going to say four. I was going to say five to six thousand. Yeah, yeah. Five, six, seven, eight. I've seen it go even higher than that. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a, a good project manager can make upwards of nine, ten. One hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, yep. one hundred thirty, even more. Even you can go up even bigger than that. And look, I'm not saying that they're not worth it. They definitely a lot of entrepreneurs are definitely worth it. But you know, for a lot of people listening right now, myself included, that's so out of but like I can't afford one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year for a project yeah. manager because if that one hundred twenty thousand is not making me two forty, then it literally yeah, makes yeah. no sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense early on. But what what does make sense is you hire, the, you get a project manager that you that's already trained. And then you bring them in at maybe $1,200 a month and they help you build out the systems. And this is what Liam in our uh, mastermind, this is what he's been doing, right? And so he wanted with the, the entrepreneur's natural skill set, what they want to do is just like, I just want to hire a salesperson and I want to hire, like, and it's like, okay, but you don't have any system. So even if that salesperson comes in and absolutely kills it, you're just going to lose everybody, right? Yeah. Like it's not going to work. The whole system's going to fall apart. And nobody likes to focus on this part of the business side. I don't. I don't like it. But it's so necessary. You have to do it. And without it, you'll just continue to spin your wheels and be stuck where you're at. So look, to wrap it up in a, in a, in a checklist, right? for anybody listening, if you want to do a quick recap of this. So number one, figure out who you need, what you're good at. Right. It all starts with figuring out what you're good at, what you're bad at, what are the highest value tasks you could do for your business. Once you have that figured out, hire around your weakest tasks so you could focus on the highest value. Step two, who do you hire? Well, it depends on what your weakest tasks are. Where do you find them? We just explained. Gary, you explained social media, networking, and then there was two other ones that you explained where you know you could find top-tier talent. And over at Team, if you're trying to save money and need high-quality talent as well, um, that should put you on the right track to hire 
high quality talent that can help you grow and scale your agency. I, for one, I'm going to do everything we just discussed and get back to you guys in a week by episode three or episode four, depending on how long it takes me to find this talent. And I'm going to share with you guys exactly, you know, how it works for me firsthand. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you actually listened to this whole podcast all the way through, that means you liked it. So please make sure you subscribe, like it, share it, all that stuff. It really helps. This is free information for you. So don't make me beg. Yes, guys. Thank you. Do everything Gary said. If you're watching this on YouTube, drop a like, drop a comment. Let us know your thoughts. If you have questions, drop your questions. I'll be happy to bring some of those up to Gary, provide you guys some extra value as well. And uh, definitely leave a review. Thank you, guys. See you next week.